right, all right. Let me call us back. As we turn now to our time of worship through the Word, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 today. We're not going to start into a new series. As we settle in and the school season kind of kicks off, we've always kind of done a vision series, a short vision vision series. And I thought this time, uh, as we just listened to two of our own preach uh, these last couple of weeks, I thought it'd be good to start this vision series to just demonstrate to you through the word the, the importance that we place on preaching and, and why that's, well, why we do that. And so uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll break it out further about what we are and who we're striving to be, what we're seeking to accomplish. But today, we're really going to focus in on preaching, preaching the word in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So I'm going to read the, read the verses, we'll pray. And then we'll jump right in. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and, and, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father, we know that even as Paul writes these words in a personal letter to Timothy, that you have inspired them for a greater purpose. And so I pray that you'd use them today to shape, encourage, and, and direct your people. Father, that we would, we would gain greater understanding about the purpose of preaching and why it's so necessary for us. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So Ephesus, that's where Timothy was. Ephesus had been thoroughly evangelized by Paul. He had done such a massive work there. The Lord had done such a massive work through him that according to the book of Acts, he was or from Ephesus, the, all of Asia had heard the gospel. That's, that's pretty notable, right? Like from this city, all of Asia had heard the gospel. Christianity had so completely taken over the city that there was at one point a riot that lasted for hours in, in the... Um, Oh, I'm forgetting the word now all of a sudden, but it's the place where you gather and there's like games and stuff. Come on. No, none of that. Coffee house. Thank you. No, not at the coffee house. Anyway, there was this place. It was like an arena, but I cannot think of the name of it. Coliseum. Thank you. So there was this massive, massive riot because the city was... um, it's, much of its tradesmen made their living off of making idols for worship. They were making false gods for people to worship. And because Christianity had taken over so completely, they were losing money. And you know what happens when we lose money. We get upset. Don't mess with my, don't mess with my income. Right? And so, so they rioted. They, they, they threw a fit. Well, Paul knew what was going to happen when he left. He says these words to the elders that were raised up in Ephesus. He says these words, Acts 20, 29 and 30. He says, 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Well, that sounds pretty that's dangerous, right? But, but listen what he says. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. He is concerned about what they will be taught. He's concerned about the things that are going to be taught in the church by the people of the church because he says that they will draw away the disciples after them. Paul had left Timothy. In his first letter, we learned that Paul had left Timothy to make sure that this did not happen in Ephesus. The whole, the, as he introduces his letter to Timothy the, in 1 Timothy, he says, I'm leaving you there. You're there so that strange doctrines, weird doctrines, different doctrines won't be taught. And now in this second letter, and the, and the last letter that Paul would ever write, mind you, this is the last letter, and these words in chapter 4 are some of the last words he would ever write. He knows that he is about to be killed for his preaching. He knows that because of his faith, he is about to face death. He challenges Timothy again. Challenges him to take up the cross. He's passing on the baton, if you will. He's, he's, he's saying, Timothy... Take a stand. Don't shirk your responsibility. Don't shy away. Don't back down. Do not cease in preaching the truth at every opportunity. Do not cease in confronting lies with truth. Do not quit preaching the word. Because Paul knew. He knew if someone quit preaching the word that others would be raised up and they'd start preaching a different word. They'd start preaching different doctrines, strange doctrines. Here's the thing. The problem doesn't end with Timothy and Ephesus. All right? It's unfortunate, but it's true. As long as the Lord tarries, and his church inhabits this sinful world, we are going to be surrounded, even infected from within, with people who are going to teach different doctrines. In fact, I think today that one of the greatest problems that the American church faces, probably the church worldwide, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but I think one of, the, one of the major things we face in America today in the church is that we are infected with all kinds of different types of folk theologies, if you will. I don't know where I first heard that terminology, like a folk tale that's not true, but somewhere along the way, people began to tell it as if it really happened. We have these folk theologies that develop, and we then cling to as if they are the things that give us hope. So... I hope I don't step on any toes here, but in a kind of, well, kind of, I hope I step on your toes, but I hope I do it gently enough that if I confront one of your pet doctrines, you won't be offended. You'll, well, at least you'll only be offended in the right way. You'll see where I'm going, why I'm, anyway, let's just hit it. Let's just jump in. How about guardian angels? How many of you are sitting here believing that you have a guardian angel sitting right next to you, ensuring that you are protected at every point? There is absolutely no biblical foundation for believing that. None whatsoever. It is folk theology. 
Certainly angels exist. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Angels exist and they are God's servant and God uses through them. He serves us. But there is no biblical foundation to believe that you have an angel sitting by you, protecting you at every moment that has been assigned to you specifically. That's, that's a lie. In fact, the origin of that teaching seems to be somewhere in ancient Israel between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New. That's not Bible. Okay? Scripture ceased being written with the prophet Malachi. It didn't begin being written again until just before Jesus came. And actually, they took that up after he came and reported on what happened while he was here. That's a lie. If you want to hold on to that, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you too. If you don't mind believing a lie. How about this one? It's another one about angels. You're going to become an angel after you die. You're going to get wings and be able to float cloud to cloud. Absolutely no biblical foundation for that. You will always be a human being. And one day, Jesus Christ will come back. This is the biblical teaching that what happens after death is your spirit goes to be with him. One day, he comes back and your body and your soul are reunited and you live in him in a physical presence forever and ever. That's the hope of the gospel. Not that you become an angel. It's a lie. I I don't even know where, I couldn't find where that one started at. How about this one? I I believe this one for years taught it. Can't go back and correct that now, but thank God he's bigger than me. How about asking Jesus into your heart? How many of you were saved that way? You just got to pray this prayer. Ask Jesus into your heart. Give him permission to move into you. Yeah. You realize that's not written anywhere in the scripture. It's even difficult to interpret it from what's written there. Not just things that people are twisting out of the scriptures that make us, lead us wrong, right? There's all kinds of stories we tell, all kinds of stories, myths that develop. All roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. There will be people who are just completely disappointed when they find out that because they decided there was a different road that led to heaven than Jesus Christ, that they will find themselves eternally condemned. But this lie is promoted by the likes of people like Oprah, who has a huge platform. Even her show ended like, I don't know, a long time ago. Still has massive influence. She sits down with, with false teachers that, that have shown themselves to be false teachers like Rob Bell, and they make up these, gosh, just absolutely deceptive and disgusting Here's one. Maybe you've heard this recently. You just need to learn to forgive yourself. This comes out of pop psychology. And it is foolishness. It is a lie. You do not need to learn to forgive yourself. You need to learn to confess and repent of your sins and trust trust that God forgives the repentant, confessing sinner. You do not need your own forgiveness. You need His. 
You need to believe that He has forgiven you. Peace does not come from forgiving yourself. Peace comes from recognizing that you have been reconciled to the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. And now, peace is. That's the teaching of the Bible. Not the lies that your psychologist will tell you. I'm not against counseling. Please don't hear me ever say that. But you be very careful what you're listening to from your counselors. If they are not teaching you truth, they are feeding you lies. You be very cautious and careful what you take from them. People, here's, here's the last one. People die, go to heaven or hell. Like they take a, a vacation to the afterlife and then they come back. And they all write a book about it. Movies have been made about this. And worse yet, then we write and then we build our theological perspectives on the afterlife off of what these people said. Which most often is in conflict or denies biblical teaching. The most recent one about the, the little boy that died and went to heaven. I don't want to be hateful towards him. But he promotes the idea, heaven, heaven is for real, I think the name of it. It was just made into a movie. Kevin, Kevin Ter, Burpo, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Don't want to be hateful towards him. I think he saw something. I think he had some sort of vision. I, I don't deny something really happened. But as soon as he says that I didn't like my wings and my halo, he's no longer trustworthy as having really been in heaven because you will never be an angel. We won't be. He saw something else. And maybe it's fanciful. Maybe it's okay that he's excited and and, and wants to think about heaven is for real. But it is not a place for us to build our doctrine or shape our life. But this book, this is according to David Platt. He talked about this in Secret Church um, a few years ago. It was the best-selling evangelical book of the last decade. What does that say about the people who are sitting in our churches and the stories that they're believing and gobbling up because they make them feel good rather than the gospel of finding joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction in the fact that the God of all heaven, the God that said, let there be light and the God that then condescended to be the savior of sinners, that he loved you, that he chose you, that he gave you eternal life. That's not satisfying enough. I got to listen to some little boy tell me about a dream he had about some world that doesn't exist. I know, I'm preaching to the choir. I hope I'm preaching to the choir. But brothers and sisters, as much as Timothy needs to hear the charge from Paul to preach the word, we need to hear the word preached. There is no substitute. There is no substitute for God's word being preached to God's people. By it we are prepared and kept until we meet him face to face. There's absolutely no substitute for this. We must preach the word and we must sit under the preaching of the word. This is not a charge to Timothy for Timothy. This is a charge to Timothy for the good of God's people. And these people include people who don't know God yet, but who God knows are his. 
Those of us that know him need the preaching so that we can know him more. So that we can grow in our faith. So that we can conform our life and, and turn our life more in repentance. That we can be kept on the straight and narrow path. That we aren't led astray by myths like people dying and going to heaven and returning and writing a book. Or myths that, that make us believe that in some way I'm supposed to forgive myself because God's forgiveness isn't quite enough. Or that, hey, can't we all just get along because all roads lead to heaven? So I'll just keep my mouth shut and let people continue to live in their lie and go to hell when they die. There's no substitute for God's word being preached to God's people. By it, we're prepared and kept until the day we meet him face to face. Paul knew how important this was. He knew how necessary it was for the church. And so he called with very strong words, very direct words for Timothy to do just this. Preach the word. Preach. It's to herald or proclaim. It's to, it's to, to, to make a message known. And we don't, we don't want to be foolish and, and, and misunderstand or misapply. That doesn't simply account for what's happening in this moment. At our church, we are serious about preaching. I hope you've already kind of sensed that in your time here. Not just this morning, but in your time here as you've attended here. But this is not the only place preaching or heralding this message can occur. Parents can herald this message and should herald this message to your children. I can guarantee you the world is heralding some message to them. The friends across the street that they play with that seem, oh, it's just kids being kids. They're heralding some message that their parents are giving them to your kids. The shows that they're watching on Netflix, the, 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 the gamers that they're paying attention to on YouTube, They're heralding a message to your children. You better be heralding God's message to your children. Friends can herald the message to friends. This can happen in intimate conversations and on street corners. The idea that Paul is presenting to Timothy is not preach in the sense that, hey, you got to sit down and develop a three-point outline with sub-points and pertinent illustrations and a couple of jokes in just the right place so that people feel comfortable because you've just punched them in the gut a few times. It's to simply explain what God's word says to one another. It's simply to herald and proclaim the truth of God's word to other people, to make God's word known. And let's deal with that, right? So it's preach the word. This is God's word, not truth, not opinion. Or I'm sorry, it is truth, not opinion. Whew. Talk about different doctrines. God's worth, God's word, truth, not opinion, not conventional wisdom, not messages from influential people. You don't need to know what Beyonce thinks about what heaven is like. You don't need to YouTube and see if some, some uh, famous a uh, sports figure has the same view as you on Christianity. What you need to know is what the Bible says. Paul is charging Timothy to preach God's word. And we can see this in the context. In the context, just two verses, just the two verses at the end of chapter 3. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his bearing and his kingdom, preach the word. What word is he talking about? The scripture that God has breathed out. And how do we, how, how, how do we see it further play out? Because he's going to talk about this being the truth. They're going to abandon the truth. They're going to believe in myths. This is the idea. God, Paul, Paul is saying, preach God's word. The, the scripture that you have received. The scripture that you have studied. The scripture that you have believed and obeyed. Preach them. Make them known. Because brothers and sisters, there's lots of people out there preaching all kinds of messages. You see it. You ever watch TED Talks? So people heralding a message. I, I appreciate TED Talks. I enjoy them. I don't watch many, but every time I've seen one, I'm like, ah, so that, man, that's pretty good. Public service announcements. You know the, the NBC, like, doom, 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 the more you know. Self-help seminars. Oh, just learn to forgive yourself. Sounds so good. You're right. I just got to let this stuff go. I got to just quit thinking about my sin. (laughs) There's all kinds of less formal modes of communication. How about every movie you watch? You think they don't have an agenda? You don't think they have a message that's written through all those things? That's written in all those scripts. What, what do you think the, the, the romantic comedies, what do you think that leads people to believe? If I fall in love with just the right person at just the right time, I'm going to be so happy. Oh, there'll be a little trouble along the way. But you know, in an hour and a half, I can fix this thing up. And everything will be all right. How's that working for you? As our world goes to hell in a handbasket, I don't mean to be crude, but come on, that's what's happening, right? Listen to what's happening around us. And they're clinging to a bunch of lies and a bunch of myths. Brothers and sisters, this should not be so in the church. Paul isn't calling Timothy to join with hundreds of messengers that are making known all kinds of crazy messages. He is calling Timothy to make God's word known so that God's people can be buoyed in very difficult circumstances. So that we can be kept and prepared to meet him face to face. There's two quick thoughts on this. I know I've probably given more thoughts than you want on this already, but just two quick thoughts on this. It flies in the face of modern ideas of what preaching is. The modern idea of preaching is limited to a certain time frame and certain amount of time. It's often thought of as, oh, I got it. I'm just a storyteller. I want to be a storyteller. I don't mind stories. I enjoy stories. I, don't, I like to use stories. I like to tell stories about myself. I really like to tell stories about my family. They appreciate that. I think. Maybe not. But this is not story time. This is preaching time. 
You, you, you heralding the message is not about telling a story. It's about making God's word known. We aren't sharing a message with others. We're not simply sharing. Oh, I just want to share. And we all have this share time. It's a proclamation. It's a presentation of something. Not seeking you, you, to, you to interject and make your perspective and your opinion known. This is God's word being proclaimed. Being heralded. Not asking for opinion or insight or, or conventional wisdom. But for us to sit under. Whether that's from the pulpit or from a dear friend who loves you enough to confront you with the word of truth. That you will walk in accordance with it. So the idea of jettisoning the Bible, as has become popular in many places today, is absolutely ludicrous. We need God's word preached to us. We have to have it. So we need preachers who will preach the word. And that's not just people who stand in pulpits. That's brothers and sisters in Christ. That's parents to children. That's a people who love others enough that they study the word of God so that they can speak the word of God. So that they can herald the word of God. And the second idea here, second, second thought on this is just, we can't just, just, just do this by living a good life. The whole idea of um, uh, preach the gospel and when necessary use words, really popular. Just going to live a good life. Lots of people just live a good life. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I want us to practice what we preach. I want us to have our feet in alignment with the, the faith we profess. I want our practice and our proclamation. I, I don't know if I could think of another way to say it. So if you didn't get it, we have to make sure that the way we live is in line with the words we speak. But if there is no speaking, if there is no presentation, no heralding, no proclamation, you are not letting anyone know God's word. You are not heralding the message. The message will only be heralded when we say it out loud. Paul is clear about this. He's clear. It's not, it's not just here. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. I can't hear it if it's not spoken. I can't hear it by looking at someone's good life and good deeds. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Because when they hear it, it's, Oh, man, that's foolish. A man has to die in my place and for my sin. That's foolishness. I'm good enough. I can forgive myself. But to us who are being saved... It's the power of God. Over and over and over, the idea of God's word being a message that must be proclaimed is presented in the scripture, but especially in the New Testament. God's word is to be obeyed. It should affect our life, but he has determined that it's by its preaching that it would be advanced in our own hearts so that we would be more repentant, so that we would grow in our faith and to his people who are yet unknown. Paul, who's passing the baton, says, Timothy, this is what you're being left to. This is what I charge you with. Preach the word. 
This is a serious charge. Paul isn't playing games. It, 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 it's the passage that immediate follows. He tell, in the passage that immediately follows, he tells Timothy, I know I'm being poured out. I know I'm at the end of my life. These are the last words we're ever going to know that Paul wrote. You notice he's not talking about the weather. He's not regretting, oh man, I wish I had kept my house cleaner. Well, what are you talking about when you're on your deathbed? What is it that people are concerned about on their deathbed? Is it the small, in, in, uh, unnecessary things or is it the important things? He isn't making small talk. He's not wasting his effort in this letter just simply so he can make Timothy feel good. This is a serious charge. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the presence of God. He recognizes God right there with him as he says these words. He recognizes God right there with him as Timothy reads these words. The authority rests then not with Paul, not with Timothy. The authority rests with God. This is according to God's plan. This is according to God's design. This isn't Paul's idea. It's God's. And then he he draws on three things in verse 1. He draws on three things about Jesus Christ that are yet future. So not just the presence of God now and of Christ Jesus now, but also Jesus Christ in the future who is to judge the living and the dead. See, Jesus' judgment is there. It's coming. Jesus is going to judge. I don't take this to be a threat against Timothy, but a reminder that it's in the preaching of God's word that people are prepared to face judgment. I don't think Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, you're going to be judged on this. He's going to be scoring you one through ten. How'd you do? The judgment's coming. People need to be prepared to face that judgment. Jesus is appearing. He is returning. It's still yet future at this point. Paul recognizes it hasn't occurred. Jesus is personally, physically going to be appearing. Again, I don't think it's so much a threat. Although there is this idea that, hey, I'm going to see this person. So like on Facebook and social media now, they're finding that people will say all kinds of crazy things about one another to one another because there's actually no, no, no actual physical presence. And so we're not compassionate. We're not careful about our words. We're just jerks to one another oftentimes across social media. Jesus is going to be here in the flesh. He's showing up. But again, I don't think it's so much a threat as a, as a motivator. Preaching the word prepares people to see him, to meet him face to face. Because everyone will see him and everyone will be judged by him. And preaching prepares us for that moment. It keeps us until that moment. Jesus is kingdom. It, The the, the idea is that Jesus has come. He has established his kingdom. It is already. But it is not fully functional fulfilled. It's not fully in place. It's still work to be done. He's going to return. He's going to fulfill his kingdom. He's going to bring it into complete fruition. Where we live in it under his authority. He's Lord King. He's Lord and King. We're His subjects. We're in obedience under His authority. There will be a time where His kingdom will exist, not in a location, not in the sense of geography, but it will extend and there will be no rebellion against it. And anyone who's in rebellion will be outside of it. 
How do we get prepared to live inside of a kingdom where we must be obedient, where we must be subservient, where we are underneath the rule of another? But to know what he has said, to know what he has done, to know what is coming. We must have the word preached to us, and so preachers must preach the word Because it prepares us and keeps us until the moment where Jesus comes to judge, appearing in the flesh and establishing his kingdom fully. It is a serious charge. It's a purposeful practice. The idea here is that Paul Paul says, preach the word. Well, how do I do that? Well, how how do I accomplish that? What what am I aiming at? What am I trying to see happen? He tells us, be in season, be ready in season and out of season. See, preaching the word is not like deer season or trout season. It never goes out of season. There's not a season to do it and not to do it. There are times, I I, I know this, I feel this, and, and I hear people say it. There are times where people say, oh man, don't, don't go, don't go telling them the Bible right now. As if the time when someone's suffering under great weight and pain is not a good time to hear the hope that comes from the Scripture. See, there are, there are times when people don't want to hear it. There are times when you might feel uncomfortable hearing it or even saying it. But Paul's saying that preaching the word is always seasonable. The bearing of fruit happens in its season, but the preaching of the word that leads to that fruit should should be happening at any time. Be ready in season and out of season. Verse 2 goes on. Reprove. The idea is bring conviction, bring correction. Let people see their sin and error. Ensure. That people see their sin and error. So I started off with some false theologies, some myths that maybe some of you hold. I hope you're corrected. I love you. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not taking this lightly. But the role of the preacher is to ensure that we are corrected. That we are able to see sin. That we're able to see error. That, see, our hearts are deceptive. They, they allow us to believe all kinds of crazy things. Our friends in the world, our friends in the world will, will, will stand by us and strive to justify or minimize our sin. They will, they will actually encourage us to justify ourselves in our own self-righteous perspectives. The point here, though, is not to leave people guilty, but to not leave them hopeless. Our, our attending to one another with these, with these cliche phrases like, oh, God will never give you any more than you can handle. Well, I feel like I can't handle this. I feel pretty hopeless. How in the world am I ever going to get through? See, that person really needs to hear that God has given us more than we can handle. From the moment we were born, we could not handle the debt that our sin has earned us. We could not stand before a holy God and ever have any hope of standing in his presence. 
Yes, God has given you more than you can handle. This circumstance is just one small piece of that. But he has given you something that satisfies the greatest weight that you will ever carry. His name is Jesus Christ. And he has said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you because it is light. He has taken your weight from you. He has taken the pain and the suffering. He has taken the consequences of your actions. And he has said, you can stand in the presence of my father. You can call out to him in my name. Brothers and sisters, we must be corrected. Because if we're not, we will continue to believe the lies that the world has been pumping out since the day that they fell into sin. The next thing he says, we don't, we, we're ready in season and out of season to reprove, to rebuke. This moves on, but it's beyond just the presenting of intellectual argument to a moral call. It's a little bit stronger. It demonstrates a real disapproval for something. Some action. In this, the preacher is to call those who listen to repentance. To change their minds that leads to a change of action. In order that instead of living the way they have always lived, that they live in a manner worthy of God's calling upon their life. The preacher must be ready in all seasons to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort a call for repentance is a, a call for repentance is incomplete without a call to faith. See, repentance is only half the story. Turning away from the lies, from the from the sin, from the false god, changing our mind about where those things are and what they mean. Turning away from them is only half the story. What are you turning to? You see, we haven't really preached. Until we've pointed people to Jesus. We haven't really heard the word preached. Until the preacher has reminded us. That our hope is in him. His sinless life. His sacrificial death. The power that's been worked on our behalf. Through his resurrection. And now his indwelling spirit. See in Jesus. God's love is made manifest. In in Jesus Forgiveness, mercy, grace are applied in Jesus. God maintains his own righteous standard, even when he's calling us saints instead of sinners. So in preaching, we don't stop at reproval and rebuke. We always move to exhortation. Look at Jesus. All that sin that you've been confronted with, all those lies that you've been believing that have led you astray, He is the answer. Believe in Him, trust in Him, experience the grace of God. Know the peace that comes from God. The unity that He works among His saints. You see, brothers and sisters, this is what preaching is. How long are we supposed to do this? Verse 4 tells us with complete patience and teaching. How long? However long it takes. It, 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 It didn't have to take him 21 years or nearly 21 years. 
He could have opened my eyes in an instant. But God bore with me for 21 years. I was raised in a house where the gospel was made known, where God's word was made known. After my dad left, my mom remained faithful. She had her her struggles. I'll let her tell you about those. But the reality is, is that it was nearly 20, it was nearly 21 years. I was just about to turn 21. Had this big plan to go home and buy a bunch of alcohol for my friends who weren't yet 21. When I finally was able to hear and believe. So with the long-suffering heart that God has shown me, I now preach. First to myself, and then to those who, who he's given me the opportunity to preach to. I wish, nah, well, I won't say I wish, I'm striving to grow in the ability to suffer long alongside each of you. I know I don't do this perfectly. I depend upon the grace and the power of God through his word to do what I can't. When people don't respond, the idea isn't ignore, ignore them. It's not, it's not well, forget them. It's just remember, how long did it take how long has the spirit bore with you or, or, or born with you? I don't know what the right tense is. How long has he been bearing with you? How about that? The reality is, as much as I don't like to admit this, he's still bearing with me. Because I am still finding that I believe lies. I am still finding that I have competing affections. I am still finding that I am running after all kinds of crazy myths that have to be corrected by the preaching of God's word. See, the reality is, brothers and sisters, this is a serious charge. It is a purposeful practice. It's an urgent mission. Because it's, it's got to be done. If it's not done, we are left without hope. We are left without the, the promise of the gospel. And, and Paul hits us. He, he tells us this. And in verses 3 and 4, he's, he says, A time is approaching. A season is coming when it's going to be unseasonable. It's going to be determined to be unseasonable to preach the word. But it's not. It, it, it's always going to be seasonal. We must remain ready to preach the word. We, we must continue to preach. And how are we going to know this time is here? How are we going to know it's arrived? Verse 3 and 4, he tells us, people won't endure sound teaching. It'd be too much for them to bear. It's going to frustrate them. They're going to walk away. One of the greatest things, that, one of the greatest lies that we believe is that the preaching of the word will push people away from the God who spoke his word. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? Preaching his word will never Ever push anyone away from the God who spoke his word. It's never going to happen. Doesn't give us permission to be jerks as we preach the word, but it gives us courage. It gives us a reason to be bold as we preach the word. If they won't endure sound teaching, it is not the fault of the word. 
It's likely not the fault of the preacher. It's likely the fault of the heart who's not willing to endure the sound teaching. Another marker, he tells us, they're going to they're gonna turn away from listening to the truth, wander off. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed one. They're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, we aren't just creating lies. We're not just making up stories. We're not just creating idols for ourselves to worship. We are enlisting spokesmen to speak on behalf of those idols. We are enlisting spokesmen that are, that are preachers according to our design and under our authority. And when we don't like what they say, we quit listening. I'll go find someone else that suits my, fa- my, my fancy, my passion, that, that, that fits more what I say. Oh, that guy, he, he believes that homosexuality is a sin. I'm not going to listen to his preaching. Well, no, I don't just believe it. The Bible says it. It's a sin. Not unforgivable. Not different than other sins. Not, not worse or some way greater sexual immorality than sexual immorality is. Well, I want to listen to someone who affirms what I believe about sexuality. It's happening all over our country right now. I want someone to make me feel good. To feed my passion. They're going to gather teachers to suit themselves. And then his last one, he says that they are going to um, run off and quit believing truth. Run off into crazy Myths at the end of verse 4. Wander off into myths. The end result will be that people will displace truth with lies. To be completely frank, this is what we've always been doing. In fact, if you read Romans 1, the very reason that God's wrath is coming, is being revealed against mankind, is because we have exchanged the truth for a lie. We're going to keep on doing what we've kept on doing. Brothers and sisters, because of this, it is urgent. We need people who will preach the word, and we ourselves need to sit under the preaching of the word so that we can distinguish between what is truth and what is myth. It is a serious charge, a a, 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 um, purposeful practice, an urgent mission, and a personal responsibility. We see this in verse 5. As he turns to Timothy and he speaks very personally, he says, As for you. Always be sober-minded. Keep your head on straight, Timothy. Don't give in. Don't give up. Just, just keep, keep moving forward. Keep looking forward. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't run off into anxiety, despair, hopelessness. Keep your eyes on Him. Endure suffering, He says. Whatever comes, don't. Stop preaching. What if they don't listen? Keep preaching. What if they dislike me? Keep preaching. What if I get unfriended off of Facebook? Keep preaching. What if they threaten to take my life? Keep preaching. And this is not coming from just anybody. I mean, maybe if I said this to you, you'd think, oh, he doesn't mean that. Because look at him. He's living in a three-bedroom house, two-car garage. He's got it pretty easy. He's got it kind of nice. Some of you would believe that I only work on Sunday. So, hey, just... Why, why, in the world, why in the world worry about this? Let me just read these words to you from Paul. Immediately following this personal, this personal point to Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. See, he's in prison in Rome. He's about to be killed because he's preached 
faithfully. I have fought the fight. He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All the things, Timothy, all the things that I'm asking you to do, I have done. Endure suffering. Whatever comes, you keep preaching. Evangelize, he says in verse 5. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Call the unbelieving heart to believe God's word. Call the believing heart to believe it more completely. I am never finished with the work of evangelism in my own life or in yours because there are areas in which we do not believe the gospel. If we did, if we fully believed the gospel, we would be the most joyous, exuberant, uh, uh, outgoing, excited, peace-filled, contentment people there are. But we're not. And you know why we're not? Because we don't fully believe the gospel. The gospel is that you and I have eternity in heaven with the God of all things. And we sit here as if that doesn't mean anything. Instead of jumping up and dancing around like crazy people. Because we know that there's nothing anyone can do to us anymore. This is the beauty of the gospel. But yet we don't believe it fully. And like everybody else, we get tripped up with lies and myths. And we need to be reminded. So do the work of an evangelist so that those who do not yet know will begin to know, that they will begin to believe God's word, and that those who do know will grow in their faith. Fulfill your ministry last personal charge. Finish the task the Lord has given you. Oh, it's great to start. We were just talking about we love new things. It's so fun to start. I've been excited for about a month now because I love starting things. But it's better to finish. It's better to actually stay faithful all the way through to the end. Fulfill the ministry that God has given you. Paul directs this charge at Timothy, I I think, with full expectation that at some point Timothy would be turning around and directing this solemn charge, this serious charge, this this purposeful practice, this, this urgent mission, this personal responsibility that he would be pointing it at the next generation. At the beginning of the letter, he writes this, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. This charge I just gave you, Timothy, you turn around and you give it to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here we are a couple thousand years later in this line of those who have had this charge directed at them. Preach the word. Years ago when I began to to preach, I sat down and I worked out a philosophy of what this would mean in my life, what preaching is meant to be and, and, and how it guides me as I do this each week, as I stand before the church or sit with you in pastoral counseling. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I think it's fitting because it's based on this passage that I at least read a portion. It's not on the screen, so I just ask you to listen as I read. God has always proclaimed his word. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke the law to Moses, but he has also enlisted messengers to proclaim his message on his behalf. 
His prophets proclaimed what they heard from him. His son, the living word, came to us, put on flesh, and dwelt among us. When he had risen from, the, from death and ascended back to heaven, he left us instructions to be witnesses, to proclaim what we have heard from him. As his people, we are built on his message and called to proclaim his message. It is a message of power. It is a message that actually brings life. It trumps tradition. It overrides opinion. It bears authority over our lives and acts as the foundation on which we stand. Without his word expressed through the ages, we would not know God, his work of redemption and reconciliation, so our own, or our own sinful need for a savior. So as I hear Paul's charge to Timothy, I hear God's call on my life. And the call on the lives of, the pre- on the lives of preachers everywhere. Preachers, preach. Come what, may pro- come what may, proclaim God's word so that the elect of God might hear and in hearing trust and obey. Preachers. Heralders, proclaimers, if you will. See, there's not anybody sitting in this room that doesn't have someone that they should be proclaiming this message to. Preach the word. If we're going to be a church that worships and leads others to worship Jesus, we must preach the word. If we're going to be a church united in Christ, serving one another selflessly as we were served by Christ, if we're going to proclaim the gospel and advance his mission, we're going to have to preach the word. If we're going to make mature and mobilize disciples so that Jesus' worship is multiplied, we're going to have to preach and sit under the preaching of God's word. This this is why when we planted the church, when we sought to establish rhythms in the church, it's around the preaching of the word. It's not by mistake that community groups have discussion around the sermons. We don't always do this, but by and large, this is what we encourage you to do. I learn a lot studying this for hours a week. The best thing you can do is go think about it again. Because you're going to forget a lot of what I say. You need to sit down with people. See, see this where the rubber meets the road and discuss it and seek to apply it together. That's why a large part of our ministry has been committed to increasing my own, or a large part of my ministry has been seeking to increase my own ability to preach so that I can grow in, in an ability to be clear, well, concise. <laughs> I'm still working on that. But I want you to hear his word. It's why. I've sought diligently to to seek people in the church that long to teach and preach. To equip them, empower them to be people who can herald the message. In fact, I see that as one of my primary callings. Not just to stand here in this in this pulpit on a Sunday morning, but to be with people in life so that they grow in their ability to communicate the truth of God's word. It's so encouraging to be able to think about people who have left to go to seminary as a part of this ministry. It's encouraging to think about the people who still sit in this room who have stayed to be teachers and leaders in this community, in this local body. Because they have sought the, uh, they have seen the importance of, of heralding this message. Even in assessing of church planters. A couple of weeks ago, I was gone on a trip to assess church planters. One of the primary things we're looking for 
is that they have an ability and a desire to preach the word. That's the only thing that actually plants churches, is the preaching of the word. Oh, we can assemble people around programs and different ministries. But the heart of the church is the preached word. See, brothers and sisters, I believe this full, full heartedly. I don't, I don't believe you can argue with me in this at all. There is no substitute for God's word being preached to God's people. By it, we are prepared and kept until we meet him face to face. And so, Christian, preach the word. Sit under the preaching of the word. And if you just happen to be in this room today and you have never trusted in Christ, then I want you to know you keep coming here and you listen to this preached word and you seek to answer those questions and you ask him to give you revelation and insight and understanding and faith. Because the preaching of the word will do its work. It's the word that works. And I am confident that by it, he'll save your soul. Let's pray.